You're listening to Behind the Wheels with Doug Mason, Dave Walters, and Mike Yeagley. This is a show where we talk about heavy truck and medium-duty axolands. Doug, Dave, and Mike bring close to 100 years of experience and expertise in the transportation business. Join us once a month to learn new things about axolands. Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation. Welcome to Behind the Wheels. This is Mike Yeagley. Dave Walters. And Doug Mason here. So uh, we're going to have this first episode where we're going to focus on wheel-offs. Uh, wheel-offs are a huge industry of huge industry interest. And uh, so I, I, let's just start off with, uh, Dave, what, what is a wheel-off? Uh, there's really two types that, that we can talk about, but today we're going to focus on more of one. But the two types are really when the dual sets, when you have a bearing failure, a hub failure, and the wheels come off as a dual. The other one will be where the nuts or the the uh, studs, you know, break or lose tension, and the wheels will basically come off. Um, so there's really two types, and we're focused today just mainly on the wheels falling off the hub. So uh, we've all seen wheel offs. Uh, plenty of videos online with wheel offs. Uh, has any anybody here had real real world experience with a wheel wheel off? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, good to tell a story about when I first started with uh, the industry and the heavy truck industry. Um, people talked about wheel-offs. I really couldn't understand how that could happen. I came from a pass car light truck industry, and we really did not hear about a wheel-off ever. If that would have happened, it would have been the end of, uh, of something. But uh, I was driving down the road one day in a, in a boulevard, and I was in a Jeep Commander, pulled up to a stoplight, and... It's normal. Guy pulled up behind me, sitting there. All of a sudden, I got I got rear-ended. I thought for sure there had been a multiple car uh, crash, uh, kind of a whiplash situation. I, I look in my rearview mirror, and it doesn't look like there's any accident behind me. And the guy is looking at me, shaking his head, like, no, nothing. I, I didn't do anything. And then, so I jump out of the car. He rolls down his windows, pointing into the boulevard. And, and sure enough, there's this large commercial vehicle wheel sitting there. And he goes, hey, that truck that just went down the road the other way, he, he, he'd lost his wheel and, and somehow it came between us and it nailed the back of my Jeep. It made a huge impression. Obviously, it wasn't going that fast because in those videos, you know, the damage that can be done. But so, yeah, it's a real life situation. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, I can add that uh, you know, I'm an active member at TMC and, uh, you know, one of the shop talks, the subject of wheel offs came up and... We call it the darkest secret in our industry. And at the meeting, you have the mega fleet sitting there all there. And the moderator said, well, how many of you guys had wheel-offs? And there wasn't a single hand raised. But if you go into the back room and talk to some of these major fleets, and, I mean, I talked to a major fleet one time, and he said, hey, we kept it under 100 wheel-offs this year. It was a pretty good year. And you thought, wow. So they're alive and well. So today we're going to address why they happen and how you can prevent them. So to understand a wheel off, you really need to understand the theory, the engineering theory around a uh, around the, the wheel axle end. And when engineers are designing that axle end joint, that bolted joint is actually, we use clutch theory. And, and so when if you're a mechanic and you think about a clutch, really what's critical there is is the friction between between the the hub and the wheel and and so it's it, it it's sort of and what 
what is really holding it together are those studs. And uh, the, the studs act as springs in yeah. there. Well, they create a force, like, like you're saying. They create a force holding it together. And I like to think of it this way, just visually in your mind. I don't know how many out there have uh, kids or remember playing with blocks as a kid. But when you had a line of blocks together and you wanted to pick that whole block up, you had to put a certain amount of force on each end. And you could pick up six, seven, eight blocks at a time. Well, the reason they were staying together is because there was enough friction force between by the force you were pulling together. And that's really kind of how the theory works. You're, you're pushing the wheel and the, the hub surface together with the, as you said, the, uh, the stud acting as a spring with the nut. And, you know, in the industry, when we go out and do a lot of training uh, for the mechanics and the industry, we always talk about how important a stud is because most people don't understand that stud stretches every time that you put it under, you know, again, clamp load. But in the real world, they can't measure clamp load, so they have to measure torque. So that's why, you know, we tell them every time you torque that nut down, you're stretching it to a certain point. If you stretch it too far, you yield it, and it basically is not going to come back, and you're going to have issues. That's like one of those springs. If you've ever taken a spring, pulled it apart, and it no longer springs back together again, that's a spring that has hit yield, and that's a spring that will not come back to its original shape. And that is the problem. When you over-torque a nut, what you're doing is you're taking that spring, pulling it completely apart, where it is no longer having any force to hold the whole thing together, and you're losing that spring, that that spring, that clamping force is what we call it. And and that clamping force is is significant, as you can imagine. You're trying to hold a a wheel onto a commercial truck, and what you have to carry, the loads that you can carry, you know, eighty thousand pound uh, load capacity typically. Every one of those studs has about forty five thousand pounds of clamp force. And you think about that with the 10 studs that are going around, that's a significant amount of force that's needed to keep that wheel in place. And so how important it is to have that together. Well, one of the big questions that uh, is asked so frequently in the industry, how do I know when my studs are, are yielded? And, you know, at TMC, we work on literally thousands of RPs. And one of the RPs, we basically wrote saying, hey, look, you know, there are thread gauges out there. There's, you know, tools that you can measure that. But the most simplest thing is you can take one of the flange cap nuts, and if it doesn't go by hand on and off the studs, you probably stretch the studs. And the guys in the field, they're like, wow, I can never do that. Well, then you got, you yeah. stretch the studs. That's what they're supposed to do. But how, I mean, you're torquing it on, Dave. I mean, how do you actually get to the point where you're you're stretching the stud? I mean, is there, you know... That's why, you know, when... It's funny. I just did a show not long ago, and the guy said, you know, in tires, it's about inflation, inflation, inflation. Well, in wheels, it's about torque, torque, and torque. And torque is basically, you know, when you stretch the stud to the point where we know that it's got the clamp load it needs... And a lot of things affect that, you know, how new the studs are. Did you properly oil them? Did you clean them? But that torque, and the industry a couple years ago, many years ago now, 
came up with a standard torque, and that was the most biggest thing because every manufacturer had a different torque at one time. So whatever wheel you had, whatever truck you had, we at TMC worked really hard to make a standard rep, which is 450 to 500 foot-pounds. And if you do that, you know you're putting the right stretch on those studs, and that's critical. And, you know, there's torque wrenches out there, and we always say bring it up to torque. Now there are torque tools that actually can torque them to that setting. So, yeah. I mean, you know, technology is going really great and, uh, you know, has improved immensely over the years. So one of the big problems with, with all of this is that we keep talking about the stretch. We keep talking about the stretch. And then now we're, we're moving into that torque discussion. But the torque is, is not a perfect... Um, representation of that stretch. You, when, you, when you're torquing, you're, you're measuring uh, basically how, how, much, how hard it is to, to pull on that, that spring, but the actual force can be, uh, the, the, what, what the torque can be, not just the force of stretching that spring, stretching that stud, the, the torque can be affected by a lot of different things. You know, if you, I mean, like dirt, if there's dirt yeah, in those dirt. threads. Dirt debris is, is critical. Um, you know, we've done so many studies, and third, or motor oil is what we use as you should put two drops of motor oil on each stud and make sure your flange nut has a drop or two to make sure that it swivels nice. And again, as Mike pointed out, you don't want to lose friction because of old hardware. Um, years ago, we actually ran a study and old rusty hardware compared to new hardware. And if you maintain it by oiling the flange nut and oiling the threads, it, it, it actually works and gives you the clamp load you need. But if you don't do anything, you're gonna lose friction and loss of torque just because you didn't clean your hardware, you didn't oil properly and do the things that you needed to do. Yeah, it's, uh, it can be very significant, like you're saying, Dave. I mean, I've, I've done some of those studies as well when we're taking a look at a number of different nuts from around the world. And I think it's something good to bring up that, you know, there is a standard out there. The Society of Automotive Engineers, SAJ 1965 specification, is kind of what governs what these uh, nut and stud suppliers have to meet to ensure that at 450 to 500 for an M22 specifically, I mean, there's other size bolts and nut systems out there that would require different torques and would require then obviously a different tension to hold the wheel in place. But as you're saying, uh, we, we took um, examples of, of studs and nuts that came straight out of the field, performed that test, and they did not meet the requirements because you're eating up all of that torque being put in there isn't going into stretch, it's going into the friction forces, it's the forcing it down. And I, I liken it to if you're going out to the garage and you, and you, you pull a, a bolt out and you're trying to put something together, it's an old bolt, kind of rusty, and you start putting it on and you got it as tight as you can get hand tight, but you're not even close to getting the joint done that's really kind of what's happening. You're using all that energy, and you're not you're not creating any type of tension on that on that stud. So in that case, if you're measuring that torque as you're tightening that up on that rusty nut on that with that rusty you know stud, you know what you're going to do is you're going to be reading that 500 foot pounds on an M22. You're going to read it, but you're not going to have anywhere near that. And it was actually interesting, Dave, when I was looking at the data you brought, where it showed you know what kind of what kind of forces, what kind of stretch you had 
with all these different, you know, was it rusty, rusty studs, stud without oil, nut without oil, all these different variations. And what was what was great was the way your study showed that it was uh, oil. Oil really made a huge difference. Even with a rusty stud, you clean off the the the, the crud, and you, you put a little bit of oil on there, and and it showed something. I mean, what I saw, and maybe you're you're more familiar with it than I am, but that 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 was pretty promising. Yeah, I mean, when when you do a study and you realize that, you know, for years we tried to do like. I'll, I'll give you an example, like anices, and everybody in the industry used anices. Well, what we found was we bought different, you know, brands of anices, but, you know, we tried to compare them, and there was no SAE spec. So once, you know, one was more lubricant than the other, and the other was, well, so basically that was like a real negative. So we had to go to something that was consistent, and then we went to to motor oil, mm-hmm. And we knew the consistency. And once we did that, it really improved our clamp load. And so people's like, well, what does a couple drops of oil on each stud? What does a couple drops of oil in that nut? And that nut has to basically be able to turn very freely. And I, when I teach my training classes, it's like grab the nut with both hands and freely turn it. If it doesn't turn it, puts you got to lube that that. Uh, join in between the flange and the nut body. And simple things like that is going to keep the wheels on. You know, one of the things that I'd like to take, I th- take a step back here and make sure that our listeners all understand what we're talking about when we talk about these nuts. Because the nuts that we're talking about are the typical nuts that are used in commercial vehicle applications. And those nuts have, the, when you think of a nut, you think of the, the standard, you know, uh, a nut <laughs> that you see anywhere. But this has an additional piece that is, we call it a free-spinning washer. And it is exactly that. It's a washer that's connected to the bottom of the, of the nut, and it just spins freely. It's just something that spins around on there. And what this does, it's, it's really a great invention because, you know, it, it really does help out with you, you have, uh, you can put a little bit of oil on, on that surface in between, get that nice lubrication, not have things bind up. But that, that free-spinning washer, once it touches the wheel, there needs to be no oil on that surface that's touching the wheel because that needs to have that friction we talked about. That is part of the clamp load equation that we're talking, that we were considering. So no oil on the parts that touch the wheel, but just above that, there's a little, uh, a little groove and you put the, you put the, the oil in there, just a couple drops, one or two drops, and then that'll allow that to spin freely. And that, so you get the nice friction where you need it and you get the, get it spinning freely where you need it, where you get the maximum torque, you're getting a true torque measurement that's, that measures, that will result in the kind of stretch that you're looking for. And if you go back into the history of hub-palleted wheels, when they first tried to come out with hub-palleted wheels, it was in the 50s, and basically they didn't have the two-piece flange nut. And so they had one nut, and what they did is they were driving that into the wheel, and it, it, it didn't work at all. And so they said, ah, this is not going to work. And so it's about 30 years later, they come up with a two-piece flange nut, they bring the system back, and now it's... It's industry standard. It's industry yeah. standard. So, I mean, 
one little piece, like the two-piece flange nut, basically kept that system from taking over the U.S. market for years. Yeah, I guess just to step back a little bit further, Mike, as you were saying, is you know talking about these nuts. These nuts are basically used on all dual-wheel applications. You know, we're talking heavy truck, but you could go down to a, a 350 or 3500 that has a dual wheel. Anything that has a flat mounting surface, uh, the two-piece flange nut is the is the way to go to ensure that you're getting the proper clamp load and the way the whole joint is designed. And I think you'll see that coming on the OEM equipment. And again, back to your point, when you put that oil in there, you're going to have that nut as if it was coming from the OE. It'll perform as it's supposed to perform. Yeah, you're bringing up a great point, Doug, because one of the things that uh, our listeners may not be aware of is that uh, when we're talking specifically, this whole discussion, because wheel-offs are typically happening in heavy truck uh, applications or even you know medium-duty, heavier medium-duty type applications, and, and, and those kinds of applications are typically, almost exclusively, uh, using hub piloted wheels, and so if you're looking for a if you're looking at a wheel, a quick way to identify if it's hub piloted or stud piloted, which is uh, a little different, it's a different system, is you look at the lug holes. So if the lug holes are just um, machined through, you know, straight through, that's that's going to be a hub piloted system. If it's if there's a shape around that, either, either a cone shape or a or a sphere shape, something that 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 the nut sort of you know, settles into and you know goes where the nut has a a either a, a, a cone shape and that goes into that wheel, that's going to be a stud piloted. The stud piloted stuff you're going to see on automotive. If you take if you look at your automotive applications, if you go out look at your vehicle. You're going to see a cone, or typically a cone, uh, a cone system in North America. Correct. Yeah. A- and and but what we're talking about are those heavier applications where it's this hub piloted system. And we'll probably spend a whole. We could spend a whole ap- episode talking about hub piloted because there's a lot more to it than that. But I just wanted to make sure everybody understood what we were talking about with because wheel offs are going to be these heavier applications, commercial vehicle, and those commercial vehicle applications are going to be typically uh, um, hub piloted. You know, one thing I'll throw in is here we're talking about how important the fasteners are. And, you know, you got to stress that there are counterfeit fasteners out there. And counterfeit fasteners in our industry is alive and well. Um, If they are marked you know, 10.9, that means they are grade eight and it's great. And if they're marked that, they have to be that. If there's no marking on your hardware, you got to be suspect because quality fasteners, you know, we talk about the studs and nuts a lot and that's so important. And, And you cannot, you could do everything right, but if you don't have good fasteners to start with, it's not going to work. So, you know, we really try to teach people buy quality fasteners, clean them, put the right torque on them. Um, a couple of years ago, we wrote an RP saying, you know, there used to be a retorque. Well, now you can run five miles, run around after you first torque them, come back to the shop, check them again, and you might never have to retorque them wheels for the whole life of the vehicle if you do it correctly. So, I mean, that's saving fleets a lot of time and money by writing that one RP. 
I mean, one company told me it saved them $250,000 a year getting away from torque checks because doing it right the first time, buying quality fasteners, cleaning, oiling, torquing, if you do all that right, you won't have wheel offs. You don't have to do the retorques if you follow your procedures. It's it's just a great thing to to to, to get rid of that process. Yeah, and just to follow up on that, Dave. Again, from the the lab side, uh, we you know we want to make sure that we understand exactly how fasteners are working, and we've done quite a bit of testing, and we've brought in a number of different uh, nuts that are out on the market, and there is a, a wide range of of what you will actually achieve. And when they have the markings on them, like you said, and many of them will have actually the, the torque uh, mm-hmm. that they are expecting, 450-500 foot-pounds on them as well. Uh, so take a look at the nut. Make sure it is a high-quality nut and know that if there's no markings or no information, it, it may not hold the, uh, the tension that you want in place. I'd like to take a minute here and go a little bit more. We've talked about lubrication, uh, but I want to go a little bit more deeply into that. I was talking to a friend of mine. And he was telling me that that he ran into a fleet. They were having all sorts of trouble. Uh, he 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 visited their their site, and he looked at their their nuts, and it looked like they just coated the whole nut in in lubricant. Yeah, you know, it was it was like yeah, they just yeah. took the nut, they they threw it into the into a bucket of oil or something, and they pulled it out, and and now they're having problems with yeah. with with torque, and and that you know. Either one of you guys, you know, Dave, you you probably have the most experience. I mean, we we all know what we're thinking, but why don't, why don't you talk a little bit yeah, about that? Yeah, I mean, when you tell people anytime you get any type of lubricant on the faces of that flange nut, the faces of the wheel, face of the hub, any of that stuff is going to cause not to get the correct torque. So it is critical. It is critical to have... Uh, you know, no oil or lubricant on your faces or the wheel, nuts, hub, when you put this system together. And just, I guess, to follow up on that so that you can understand what this is, you can take a look at uh, service manuals for some of the major uh, wheel suppliers. And in that, that'll show you specifically where to place the oil and, again, how much oil to put in each location so that you can have a visual representation of that if you want to take a look at it. You can probably find that online as well. Typically, just, you know, at least what our, what the Alcoa wheels uh, manual says, two drops here, two, two drops on the stud, two drops, one or two drops in the freeze, yep. and that's it. You know, the, more no is else. not better. No. More, <laughs> you know, some people, it's sort of like, well, if two drops is good, 10 drops is better, and a whole bucket is the best. And that's not true. You, you need you know, just a couple of drops here, a couple of drops there, and everything's going to work out great because you really want to maintain that friction. You want the friction in the right places. You want the friction on the hub, on the wheel face, and on, on that, that surface of the nut that touches the wheel. And, and as Mike brought up, that that's true in torque, too. We, we call this in our industry, the good and tight method, where these guys take the one-inch gun, they run these nuts down, they take a torque wrench, they go click, 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 and they say, life's good. All you know is you torque that thing 500 pounds or more. I was actually at a transit company, and the guy's, like, so proud that he did everything right. We found out he torqued those nuts to about 1,100 foot-pounds. And he basically ruined every stud in the whole assembly. And that is common. The industry, as we say, they're tighter, better. No, it's not. There's a specific torque that you need. 
And as I go out and tell people that and show them, you know, they understand the spring, the studs of spring. So that's very important. So out of this lesson, understand that that stud acts like a spring. So we've talked a little bit about about dirt and corrosion on the studs and, and the nut threads and how that can create a wheel off that increases the friction while you're torquing down the nut. Um, and so the torque wrench is going to read that there's enough when there isn't, or like Dave was just mentioning. We've talked about not enough lubricant, um, and just like dirt, that also increases friction, or too much lubricant, where, where now you have surfaces that are moving that you don't want moving, where you, there are surfaces that you want that friction, and you, you've introduced oil in there, so you're getting movement on that, and that's going to... That's going to cause uh, a wheel off. Anything else that we, you know, that you guys have seen that uh, can can possibly cause, uh, you know, an issue with that would result in a wheel off? Well, again, you know, what we're talking about is anything that will uh, give you a false reading initially, and then as you can you start driving the truck, things change, and uh, you can think about a joint settling. And one of the things that can happen in there is if you have uh, a coating or, or a paint on a wheel, uh, depending on the thickness that uh, that paint or coating is, uh, you could have a situation that occurs. As you can imagine, think about paint. If it's very, very thin and you press on it, you're not going to do anything. But if you had a, a thick piece of paint and you put a lot of force, you're going to create an indention, right? And so if you torque it up, you can get relaxation, we'll call it, of the joint, and you'll lose that, that tension that you originally had in place. Uh, I think primarily 3.5 mils would be about what would be the most expected. You could see that in a, a number of different places. And that's not a lot. That's like a sheet of paper. Right, exactly. It, it's it's very thin. So people who are going around uh, deciding to paint the wheels and then put nuts over top of that paint, you'll be very, very careful. And, and the other big thing is when you do paint, you you have to let the paint cure. And most of the time when these professionals do it, they heat the paint back up. They cure the paint. And when you see a guy take a spray can out in the shop and sp spray paint it and then put the wheels on, you're asking for a problem, a big problem. And you, you, you almost say, hey, this is the worst practice in the world. So paint is a very big factor. Now, most of these things that we're talking about really aren't, aren't visual, right? You can't visually see that I didn't. it doesn't have enough tension in there. Uh, is there a way and that you can tell when you're going down the road if you might have a possible issue? The, the, the big tall tall sign I tell everybody, Rust Street's coming from a stud, will tell you that maybe you have a loose fastener. And that's critical. And DOT will actually, you know, give you a, you know, basically give you a violation for having rust streaks. Now, what I always tell somebody, maybe the wheel was loose before, they fixed the problem, and you don't know that that all happened. So make sure you clean all that back up before you go back down the road because, like I said, an officer, a CVS officer, can actually give you a violation for rust streaks because that's an indication that those are loose. So as a, you know, when you look at the vehicles, look for rust streaks. So the last thing we're going to talk about is uh, you know, cocked wheels. You know, when you're, when you're mounting the wheels, this is probably the, the last, uh, last issue that could give you false readings on that torque. You know, if you, so Dave, you want to talk a little bit about, about cocked wheels and how that happens? And Yeah, when, when you're putting on the wheel, the, the first wheel goes on 
and sets up straight. The second wheel, when you, you put it on, will lean back over. And so the industry wants you to have one of the pilot tangs at 12 o'clock. And then what you do with your air gun is you snug that top one up. You go 180 degrees and you snug that one up. And then you go in the pattern across, a crisscross pattern, to kind of make sure that the wheels. Then you can almost look at the pilot pads of the hub and the wheel and make sure that everything is that. You can also look at the threads, how many threads are sticking out on each stud, and make sure they're even. Getting wheels cocked is when a guy normally takes that air impact, hits that bottom one, and he cocks the wheel to where he thinks he can pull that in with the top one, but, but he can't because he's already cocked the wheels because he's tightened the bottom one. And that's a big thing in the industry. And, you, you know, you try to tell somebody hitting that top nut first is critical when you put on dual wheels. I want to highlight the, the one thing you mentioned there, which is to have that, that, that mounting pad, that tang, at the 12 o'clock position. So, it, so everything is sort of hanging from that to begin with. And that's really going to help the way this, this all yeah, put, goes I mean, together. Yeah, the mylon pads, all they do is line up the wheels. But if you have that wheel kind of hanging on that, you want to slide it up on that pad. And that helps you line them up. And, uh, you know, there are tools out there, line-up sleeves that we make that will help you line up the wheels perfectly every time. And, uh, you know, those are all critical. I mean, our lineup sleeves can actually be put on before you put the wheels on, put the first one on, put the second one, and you can't cock it. So, I mean, there's a lot of advantages with certain tools out in the market to help you get the wheels on where you cannot do that. You technically can hot cock wheels with our lineup sleeves. Right. Yeah, the bottom, the bottom line is what we're saying, though, is if you do cock it and you do torque it down, you could conceivably reach the proper torque on your gun, everything could be fine. You double check it, everything's fine, but then you go drive down the road and that joint will now settle. Yes. And then all of a sudden you have lost all of the tension in those studs that you thought you had put in there. So the points that you were making, Dave, about that double check, taking a look at how many threads are at sticking out, whether or not the hub tangs are evenly distributed, very important to make sure that you don't get down the road and the technician thinks, yes, I got everything done right, but, uh, and there's that wheel wobbling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I think that does it. Thanks a lot for joining us on this first episode of Behind the Wheels. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to contact us, catch us at Wheels at arconic.com with any questions or comments. We'll see you next time. Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation, manufacturing, and technology. Inventing the first forged aluminum wheel in 1948, its team of experts continue to develop the most lightweight, efficient, and high-performing commercial vehicle aluminum wheel products. Bringing you revolutionary innovations like Alcoa Durabright wheels, Alcoa Durablack wheels, the new Alcoa wheels hubboard technology, and the lightest truck wheel on the market, Alcoa Ultra One 22.5 by 8.25 wheel. Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation.